Uh, well, back in the, in the mid-20th century, there was a correspondence in the letters section of the Times newspaper uh, entitled, What's Wrong with the World? What's wrong with the world? And there were loads of letters came in, lots of suggestions, what's wrong with the world? Uh, you know, the problem is the education system, perhaps, or, or it's, the, it's the politicians, what's wrong with the world? Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the young people of this generation are the, the problem. Uh, it's the old people of this generation is the problem. All sorts of things were coming in about what's gone wrong with the, with the world. And uh, the shortest response came from the famous uh, writer and thinker G.K. Chesterton, uh, who simply wrote, Dear Sirs, in answer to the question, what's wrong with the world? I am. What's wrong with the world? I am. Uh, what was he saying? Well, he, of course, he was saying in a very simple way, the problem with the world is not lying out there somewhere. Uh, it doesn't lie in institutions or groups of others, but the problem is found in me, in you, as someone once said, the, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Uh, to use biblical language, the greatest problem that we face is sin. It's an unpopular word. It's a very small word, but with a very big and devastating consequence. It's a small word with a huge I in the middle, if you like to think of sin like that. Uh, it's the problem that us human beings have, who are designed for God and designed for other people, have curved inwards on ourselves, uh, so that I becomes the very center of everything. And so sin spoils and it damages everything. It damages our, our, our uh, relationships with, with the creation. It's not hard to see that, is it, in the days of climate emergency and ecological degradation. It spoils relationships uh, with other people, with other human beings. It's not hard to see that in time of turmoil, of political turmoil and, and, and war raging in, in Ukraine. Uh, above and all, though, and underneath all of that, it spoils relationship with God, uh, with the God who made us, our loving creator. It, sin uh, curves us away from him, cuts us off from him, from his goodness now and for eternity if sin continues to stand between us and God. And so sin is our greatest problem, the greatest problem that the, the world faces, what we face. And so what is our greatest need? If that is true, well, our greatest need must be the forgiveness of sins, to be reconciled with the God who loves us. And so to be set free from self and be able to, to love him and love others and make a difference in the world. Now, there are other things that, of course, we, we long for, we pray for, we work for, uh, the alleviation of suffering, the, 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 the healing of our, our bodies, the, the removal of evil, the eradication of poverty, the sustainable planet. We, we, we long for all of those, but, but our greatest need of all, underneath all of those, is forgiveness from God. And in our account in Luke's Gospel today, we, we get a glimpse of that in the ministry of Jesus. In verse 17, we meet Jesus in a, in a crowded house. The room is full of religious leaders. Look down at verse 17, if you would. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. So, so this is a crowded house, particularly with religious leaders. Uh, the news had obviously spread about Jesus. You know, here's a man who, who taught with authority. We saw that back in chapter 4. People were amazed at his teaching because he didn't teach like the other religious leaders. He taught with authority. 
Then we've seen that Jesus has authority over evil spirits. Remember, he's driving out those who've been possessed by demons. We've seen his authority over sickness, over illness. He healed Simon's mother-in-law and then countless others. And on the lake, we saw last week, if you were around, uh, in chapter 5, 1 to 11, Jesus' authority over nature. This miraculous catch of fish. Uh, it's Jesus' news is spreading everywhere, not surprisingly, because of his incredible authority. He's unlike any other human being who's walked the planet. And, and in our first brief encounter in today's passage, uh, we see again Jesus' power over sickness. Uh, over a man with leprosy, a, a horrible skin disease that uh, was not only painful and unsightly and, 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 and debilitating, but, but it was a disease, I'm sure you know, cut you off from your family and from your friends and from your religious community. Anything with a skin disease was, was an outcast. You couldn't go to the synagogue. You couldn't, go, uh, you couldn't invite anyone into your house. You, you had to stay away and let people know that you were coming so that they could avoid you. And this is a a desperate, desperate illness in first century Palestine. And here we see again the power of Jesus, and not just raw power, and this is always wonderful about Jesus, isn't it? You see the full compassion and love for this man. We get this little statement of faith from the man, verse 12, when he saw Jesus, he fell his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He, he knows Jesus can do it if he's willing. And Jesus, who could have just said the word, be healed, as he did most of the time with most uh, of his um, uh, healings, uh, we see verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus reached out his hand and he, he touched the man. It's not incidental that. He's a man who's not had a human touch for, for, for years and years. He doesn't know what it's like to be touched because people have withdrawn and avoided and, and deliberately not touched him. And now Jesus, he could have just said, oh, be clean, and, and the man would have been clean. But, but he touches him because he loves him. And he wants to draw him back in to relationship with God and to relationship with, with others. Oh, see, we see the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, uh, shaped by his compassion and, and love. It's, it's just wonderful to see Jesus in the Gospels. And so not surprisingly, news continues to spread about this man who can heal and, 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 and has incredible authority. And, and these crowds keep flocking to him. So we shouldn't miss verse 16. Uh, have a look down. But, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Uh, we saw that again uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in chapter 4, verse 42. Jesus retreating for prayer. Jesus retreating to spend time with his Father. Jesus retreating to make sure his priorities are set. He understands the Father's will. Uh, we don't want to miss this because if Jesus needed to retreat for prayer, to spend time with his Father, well, how much do we need to in our busy, pressured lives in which... Everything is clamoring for our attention uh, to retreat and withdraw and spend time with the Father. Well, Jesus does that, but, but we're now back in the crowded house, verse 17. And it's so crowded that when these Japs come, these guys with, a, with their paralyzed friend come, there's, there's no way they're getting through the door. But these are men of faith. Uh, we know that because Jesus tells us, but we can see it in their 
efforts, can't they? They've, they've brought their, their friend to, to Jesus, and they're not going to give up when they find a crowded house. They, they're up on the roof, the flat roof. They tear some tiles off. They lower their friend down in front of Jesus. They've seen Jesus heal. They know he can do this, and so they want to get their friend to Jesus. I always wondered what the homeowner was thinking at that point as his roof was being t- torn apart. I mean, we see it and it's wonderful, but, but uh, uh, the paralyzed man is lowered down in front of Jesus who, verse 20, sees their faith and he looks deep into the soul of the man before him. And he says, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of his friends and he stood to them all and he took what he'd been lying on and he went home praising God and they were all amazed. It's not actually what happens, is it? At least it is at the end, but it's not what he hears. I, I, I mean, Jesus he wants to do something even greater. He wants to do a greater miracle in this man's life than healing his paralyzed body. He wants to do an even deeper work and he wants to reveal something even more clearly about himself and so the first words he says to that man is friend your sins are forgiven and I think we see these two things firstly we see the revelation that of who Jesus is that Jesus is God in human flesh that here is God walking the earth You see, the religious leaders know exactly, don't they, what Jesus is doing, what claim he's making. Verse 21, have a look down. Uh, The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but but God alone? Uh, They know exactly uh, what claim Jesus is making as he says those words. And of course, they're right. Only God can forgive sins because sin is primarily and always against God. And Jesus knows it. And so he asks them that question uh, because he knows what they're thinking. Uh, Verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And he he doesn't give them a chance to answer that question. But of course, in one sense, if it's it's you or me, we know which is easier to say, don't we? We we know that for for you or me, if, if if I say your sins are forgiven, you haven't got a clue whether that's true or not. You haven't got a clue whether that that worked or not, whether that's correct or not. But if I say to the paralyzed man who's sitting at the front here, uh, I tell you, get up your mat and and walk, and they just stay lying there, well, you know, I'm a fraud, charlatan. I'm just making it up. I can say words that they have no effect. For Jesus, of course, for for you and I, one's easier than the other, but but for Jesus, for God walking on, on, on the earth... Well, they're both equally easy. He has the authority to do both, but he does the second to demonstrate his authority to do the first. And the man jumps up and takes up his mat and he goes home praising God. Wow, a miracle. And, and people are remarkable. Say, Haven't we seen remarkable things? You see, this is Jesus. This is the king of God's kingdom who does what only God can do. Not simply a miracle worker who can do spectacular things, but God himself walking the earth full of love and compassion who has the power to forgive. And he's able to forgive sins because, as we'll be remembering in a few minutes, 
He goes to the cross to bear the punishment for our sins. He'll carry them there in his body, on the tree. And so he's able to say to anybody, your sins are forgiven. I think it's important just to see this in our days of relativism when there's some enormous pressure to conform, to say, well, all religions, they're just sort of basically the same, aren't they? You know, Jesus just sit on a shelf with, with other, some other religious leaders and, and they're all sort of similar. But here is the unique Son of God, the Savior of the world, the only one who has authority to forgive sins. And this account, of course, is just one of many in the Gospels where Jesus takes that claim, makes that claim, does things that only God can do. And we need to remind ourselves of that and hold on to that and be clear about that, that the uniqueness of Jesus as the Son of God in flesh. Second thing, then, this points reality to is that this forgiveness is our greatest need. So we know what the religious leaders are thinking when Jesus says those words, uh, you know, friend, your sins are forgiven. See the man's lower down. I've always wondered what the man thought or the, the friends around him were thinking. Because I think they were thinking, come on, Jesus, you know, here's a man, we've, we've brought him because it's obvious, he's paralyzed, he needs to walk, he, that's his greatest need, his presenting need, they've brought it down and, and they've seen Jesus heal and, and so they're expecting him to do that work and he, they hear that word, friend, your sins are forgiven. And I think they're, they're probably thinking, oh, Jesus, I think you've missed the point. Have you not missed the, can you see what his real need is? Can you see the, the most foundational need? And, and Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's some debate in the commentaries about whether this paralysis is linked with the man's sin. Now, it's, it's not impossible. You know, this man may have had an accident while committing a crime, might have fallen through a roof, he might have, I don't know. There may be some direct link between his suffering and his sin, but, but we know in the Bible there's a, there's a very general link always between sin and suffering. From Genesis chapter 3, from the fall. There was no suffering in, or sin in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 before the fall. Uh, in Genesis 3, as Adam and Eve rebel and push God out of his rightful place, everything is disrupted and ruptured, the relationships, as, as, uh, and, 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 uh, and the earth is cursed. And so there's suddenly suffering comes in, pain comes in, illness comes in, sickness comes in, uh, in a general way because of the fall. But but Jesus, and often in the Bible, we're very clear not to link specific suffering with specific sin. And we have to be very careful about that for those who are suffering, to heap extra cruelty on them by saying, well, it's something to do with what you've done has caused this. Uh, that isn't what the Bible teaches. And it's not what Jesus, I don't think, is wanting to, to draw that link here. What he's wanting to do is make a priority. What he's wanting to do is drawing out that priority of Forgiveness. This is what the man needs more than anything else, even though that is a desperate physical need that he has. And then the healing miracle is to prove his authority to forgive. You know, both are wonderful, but forgiveness is our greatest need. Imagine that uh, the paralyzed man was here with us this morning. Imagine he was here uh, with us and we, were, we could interview him about the, 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 what, what had gone on that day. Let's call him Ben. Ben's a good sort of Hebrew name, isn't it, Benjamin? Benjamin. And um, uh, we're having a chance to interview him. So um, 
So here, so, so Ben, just, just tell us what happened this day. I think he's, he just had my accent. I'm not going to put an accent on for Ben, okay? Um, so so ben, tell, ben, tell us what happened uh, on that day. Well, you know, we'd heard that Jesus was in the area. He'd been uh, healing all these people, and, and uh, he'd been talking about the kingdom of God, and we, we thought, well, you know, maybe he could do something for me. And, and, and my friends thought so as well. And so my mates picked me up, and they took me uh, to the house uh, where he was. It was crowded, so we went up on the roof and we opened the roof and, and we, he lowered us down right in front of, of Jesus. And there I was lying in front of Jesus. Oh, Ben, well, what did he say when, you, when, when he saw you lying in front of him? But, well, he said two things. First, he, he looked right at me and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. There was a bit of discussion going on in the room after he said that. Uh, and then he said to me, uh, take up your mat uh, and, and go home. And that's what I did. I, I got up, I took up my mat, I, I rolled it up under my arm, and I went home praising God because it was an amazing day. Well, Ben, that is amazing. I mean, that's incredible. It must have been amazing to experience that. Just, just of those two things that Jesus said to you, which do you think were, was the most important? Well, I mean, they were both fantastic. I mean, getting up off my mat. I've been paralyzed for, for years. I mean, it was brilliant. I got up, I went home. I had another 35 years of, of life. I, I lived a normal life. I was, I was healed. I had a normal life. I got married. I had a couple of kids, which was incredible. They were wonderful children. And, and they looked after me as I got old. And, and then I died. I mean, it was great. That, but you know, for the last 2,000 years, I have been in the presence of Jesus. And do you know what? The, every day in that presence of Jesus has been better than even the very best day I enjoyed here on earth. Uh, for sure, hearing saying, Jesus say, friend, your sins are forgiven, uh, bringing me back into relationship with God and, and enjoying him for, for eternity, uh, that was the most wonderful thing I heard that day. Well, it's an imaginary interview, but... To hear those words, friend, your sins are forgiven. There are no other words more precious than those, more powerful, more necessary to hear from the lips of Jesus for every single human being. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And so as we come to communion in a, in a few moments, my first question for us to reflect on as we come to that time, we'll have a little bit more time to reflect and, and think, would be, have you heard those words of Jesus for yourself? Friend, your sins are forgiven. Have you come to that foot of the cross, knowing your need? There is no greater need. Well, if you haven't heard those words, you can hear them this morning. If you come to Jesus just with a humble heart, a seeking heart, quietly, uh, Jesus will say, I've died for you. Your sins are forgiven. If you know that forgiveness of God, and I, I imagine many Christians here this morning, uh, if you've experienced the, the work of Jesus in your life, are, are you a person of praise? 
person of thanksgiving. That's definitely the outcome here in the crowded house at the end of the, the story, isn't it? The man goes home praising God, and then the people were amazed, and they gave praise to God. They were people of, of praise. You see, praise is the mark of a forgiven sinner. Praise is the mark of a person whose life has been touched by Jesus. Praise is the mark of a church uh, that, that knows the forgiveness that has the cross at the very center of its life, uh, where Jesus uh, continues to work by his Spirit. Are you a person of praise, giving your life to, to praising Jesus? And then lastly, the third question would be, you know, are you exercising faith for somebody else? Who are you bringing to Jesus? I, I love this, this parable. Um, you see, it's a wonderful picture. These, these four guys... Um, I mean, we don't suppose we know there are four of them. I mean, just imagine one on each corner, but, you know, it could have been two, I suppose, if they'd been strong. Um, but anyway, but imagine there's four. These four guys, they, they make every effort to bring their friend to Jesus. He can't do it on his own. He, he's lying paralyzed, and, and that's a picture, if you like, of, of our spiritual state before Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. We can't bring ourselves, and, and we need someone to bring us to him. And they faithfully, lovingly bring their friend to Jesus. You know, they can't forgive his sins. They can't make him walk, but they know that Jesus can. And so they bring their friend to him. And I wonder who we can do that for, who we can faithfully, lovingly, prayerfully bring a friend, a family member to Jesus in our prayer, regularly in our prayer. Bring him to Jesus, like bringing, him, bringing the guy. Imagine yourself in that situation. You're bringing someone before Jesus. And maybe you can do it in your conversation with that person. Maybe you can do it in inviting them to, to the life of the church in some way. Uh, are we exercising faith for someone else? Uh, my prayer is that we might know the forgiveness of Jesus richly in our lives, that we might rejoice in him and be a people of praise, that we might be those who would give of ourselves in bringing others to Jesus. It's my prayer for us as a, as a church. And we're going to sing before we come to uh, communion. Alex is going to come up and uh, lead us. Let's pause for a moment. Then I'll lead us in a prayer and then we'll sing together. Lord, we thank you uh, for Jesus. Thank you that his name is beautiful because it's the name above every name. We thank you that he moved around the world in this the planet that little part of the world with deep compassion and authority uh, we thank you that he continues to do that by the spirit we pray this morning that those perhaps who are feeling a sense of conviction a sense of need a sense of, of guilt before you needing to be reconciled would be able to come to jesus and find forgiveness this morning so we come to the communion in a moment Lord, we become empty-handed knowing that need, that ongoing need of grace and forgiveness. And then, Lord, would you make us people of praise who'd love to worship you. And then people of faith who would bring others to you. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.